Today, I'm continuing to teach on the subject of financial stewardship. And today, I'm going to start talking about the tithe. And we're going to talk about what the Scripture has to say about the tithe. And again, uh, I'm going to approach this in a different way than what I've heard other people preach it. Let me just give you a little background. I was raised under a teaching that the tithe was mandatory, that it was an obligation. I actually was taught that the tithe is something you owe God and you're cursed with the curse if you don't tithe. Out of Malachi chapter 3, we're going to deal with those verses in just a few minutes. And I was I had that mindset. I remember when I was still in my denominational church that they asked me when I was a teenager to get up and give a little talk about the tithe. And I took Malachi chapter 3 and I just beat people over the head with it. That you're cursed with the curse. You're robbing God. God's going to get you, etc., etc., etc. And basically that's the way that I was brought up and that's the way that I originally presented this to other people. And so that's my background. And then when I came into the grace of God and I began to understand that nothing that I do uh, either makes me more acceptable to God or less acceptable to God, that God loves me independent of my performance, immediately this teaching that I'd grown up with and that I'd even told other people about that it's a debt and an obligation, you're cursed, God's going to get you if you don't tithe, immediately that came into question. And then, let me just turn over here and read a passage of Scripture in the New Testament out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In verse 6 it says, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, most of us are familiar with the last phrase in this verse that says God loves a cheerful giver. But the first part of this says that when you give, you should give as you purpose in your heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. Now, I don't know how you could look at this verse and think that that previous uh, statement about the tithe that I was making, the attitude that I was raised up with, that you're cursed, God's against you, Uh, you have robbed God and the curse of God has come upon you. If the reason you pay a tithe is because you don't want to be under this curse, and in a sense, I know some people may be offended, but I think that others probably will relate to this and you'll understand it. It's like paying hush money to God. You know, like if the mafia comes in, they say, you know, there's been a lot of uh, thievery, there's been a lot of break-ins, Businesses around here are being burnt and destroyed, but if you will give me some money every month, I will see to it that nothing happens. turns out that they're the ones that are doing all the robberies and the burnings, but if you will pay them, they will protect you. And in a sense, that's what some people see the tithe as. It's like hush money. You pay in God so that He'll stay off your case and keep this curse off of you. If that's the motive for your giving, you're totally voiding or violating the motive that is given here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, where it says, don't give grudgingly or of necessity because God loves a cheerful giver. So I really believe that in the New Testament, this is the dominant motive for our giving. And some of you that have listened to this whole series have heard me say this, but 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9 is all talking about money. It's actually the most Scripture in one place in the Bible 
that talks about money. And it ends the entire two chapters worth of teaching by saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. And basically that kind of summarizes why we should give back to the Lord in the New Covenant because He's already given to us. He's already commended His love toward us. He's already provided everything for us. And so our giving is actually an expression of thanks, an expression of appreciation for all that He's done for us. And so I believe that that is the dominant New Testament motive. And I go back to a verse that I've already used in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in verse 3. It says that if you give all of your goods to feed the poor, or even if you give your body to be burned and don't do it by charity or God's kind of love, it profits you nothing. So the motive behind your gift is more important than your gift. And so, if the New Testament motivation is not grudgingly or of necessity because God loves a cheerful giver, and if that is the proper motivation, that is a completely different motivation than the Old Testament, second, uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, where it says you're cursed with the curse if you don't tithe. So which is it? See, I came out of this very strong background to where it wasn't... Uh, explained totally, but it just basically said, if you don't tithe, God is going to curse you. God's going to get you. And so we motivated people to give out of a sense of debt and obligation in order to stop the wrath and the curse of God from coming upon you. In the New Testament, I experienced the grace of God. And so I went and I had to uh, ask God for some clarification of this. And I just want to share some real simple things with you, I believe, about the tithe. So let's look over in Malachi chapter 3 and in verse 8. This is Malachi chapter 3 verse 8 and this will be a familiar passage to many of you. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with the curse for you have robbed me even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the fields, saith the Lord of hosts. And so this passage of Scripture, especially verse 8, it says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. And so many of you, I'm sure, have heard this, but people take this and say, you are robbing God if you aren't paying your tithes. And therefore they teach that tithing is a debt. I've actually heard it said this way before, that your tithe is a debt. It's a payment. And you have to pay that just to keep the curse from coming. And you don't get any return off of your tithe. It's only the offerings above the tithe that is sowing and that counts as far as like, for instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and other places where it talks about sowing and God will give seed to the sower. And if you give Luke 6.38, it'll be given back unto you. So some people believe that the only money that you give that you get a return on is your offerings above the tithe. But the tithe is basically a debt you have to pay just like a bill and there is no response off of that. You just basically avoid the curse by paying the tithe. And they get that mindset from right here in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. 
Well, let me first of all say this. Again, that violates the scripture I was using in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 about don't give grudgingly or of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. And notice also that it says in verse 8, people just conveniently miss this truth. And yet it's real obvious. It says, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Now, if a person is going to say that you are still under this debt, and if you don't pay this debt of the tithe, then you are cursed with the curse. If you are going to use Malachi chapter 3 to say that, it says that you are cursed if you don't pay tithes and offerings. Now, a tithe just really simply means 10%. That's a, just an old English word for saying a tenth is a tithe. And so that means 10%. And then above that, I had a man one time, I've never personally figured this out, but he said that he went through and looked at the offerings that you had to offer for all the different sin offerings and all the festivals and all of these things. And if you add up all of the tithes and the offerings that were prescribed by the Old Testament law, it amounted to 33%. So if a person is going to use Malachi chapter 3 verse 8 and say, you're cursed with the curse if you don't tithe, then be scripturally correct, they're going to have to say, if you also don't give offerings, which amounts to 33%. So you could say, if you aren't giving at least 33%, you're cursed. And you know, I know a lot of people that preach the tithe, and if you don't tithe, you're cursed with the curse, and yet they don't give 33%. That's not uh, scriptural. If you are going to believe that you have to live under this prescription right here, then you're going to have to say that anything less than 33% still puts you under the curse. I don't believe that that's true. And somebody's saying, well, it's right there in the Bible, so how do you get around this? Well, I'm not trying to get around it, but how do you interpret this as the proper way? Let me just use this passage of Scripture over in Galatians chapter 3 and... um, I've got a lot of teaching on this subject. I had not got time to go through it right now. But there's a difference between the Old Testament law and the punishment and the wrath and the harshness of the Old Testament law and the New Testament grace that we find ourselves under today. And so in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 10, it says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That's a quotation from uh, the last verse of Deuteronomy chapter 27. So this is referenced back to that verse, and it's basically saying that if you don't keep all of the law, not just part of it, not just do the best you can, if you don't keep every part of it, then you come under the curse. And the people who are trying to live by the Old Testament law conveniently miss this point. It's not just a matter of you doing the best you can and then the grace of God makes up the difference. You either trust the grace of God and therefore you aren't accepted with God based on your performance or if you are going to trust in your performance, then there is no grace to it. You have to be 100% perfect or you need to humble yourself and receive the grace of God, one or the other. That's what this verse is saying. In verse 11 it says, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Man, that is a powerful scripture, but I'm not going to preach on that because I want to move on. The next verse is what I was wanting you to see. Galatians 3.13 
It says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This scripture says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Well, what is the curse of the law? You can find those curses listed in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15 through 68, but also here in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, where it says, Well, a man robbed God, yet ye have robbed me. But you say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Did you know that Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 is the curse of the Old Testament law. And Christ has redeemed us from this. I don't believe that we are cursed if we aren't tithing. Now, I don't believe we're smart. I still believe that the tithe is in effect. As a matter of fact, let me just show you real quickly that over in Genesis chapter 14, I won't take time to turn over there, but you could look it up in Genesis chapter 14. And after Abraham won this great battle, he came back to the city of Jerusalem and Melchizedek, was the priest of the Most High God and also the king of Jerusalem. And and Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. That's the first time that tithes are mentioned in the Bible. And then in Genesis chapter 28, you find Abraham's grandson, Jacob, who had this experience where he laid down and had this dream and saw this ladder reaching all the way up into heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. And uh, when he woke up, he put a pillar there and anointed it with oil and said, Surely this is the house of God. Call that place Bethel, which meant uh, house of God or house of bread. And then he made a vow in uh, Genesis chapter 28, verse 20. And he says, Surely if God will perform the things he's promised and guide me while I'm gone and bring me back safely, then the Lord will be my God and I will give him a tithe of everything that has been given unto me. So we see that Abraham and Jacob, his grandson, paid tithes. It's possible that also Isaac, uh, you know, Abraham's son, paid tithes, but it's not specifically mentioned that I remember right now. But apparently it had become a family thing. But when the law was given, it was institutionalized and it was a command. When the Lord redeemed the people from the land of Egypt, of course, the death angel went through and it killed the firstborn of all of the Egyptians and also of all of the animals and things like this. But upon all of the Israelites, because they had killed a sacrifice and put that sacrifice on the doorpost of their house, the death angel passed over them. So when they came out of the land of Egypt, God says, I have bought all of your firstborn unto me this day and because I spared their life. And so from now on, you have to give a payment for every firstborn child, every firstborn animal. And so they had to start giving payments. There was a nearly like a tax that Moses instituted for the building of the temple. And so there were all of these different things that were commanded to be given. But in the Old Testament law, the tithe was given, and it was strictly enforced. And over here in Malachi chapter 3 and in verse 8 and 9... That's what these scriptures are talking about, that if you didn't follow through with this tithe, the curse of God was going to come upon you. But as I shared over there in Galatians chapter 3, we've been redeemed from the curse so that now we get the blessing instead of the curse. 
But I want to make it clear that the tithe operated before the Old Testament law. Abraham and Jacob were hundreds of years before the law was given, and yet they paid tithes. And the tithe is mentioned in the New Testament. Jesus mentioned it. Some people will talk about it and say, well, but Jesus hadn't instituted the New Covenant yet. But even over in the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 7, the tithe is mentioned again. And the subject of giving is mentioned very often. And uh, I believe in the New Testament, the tithe isn't enforced strictly the way it was in the Old Testament. But the principle of taking a tenth of what you have and giving it back to the Lord is a Bible principle, not just an Old Testament law principle. So it hasn't passed away. I believe that tithing is still a valid thing to do today. But if you are giving with this mindset of Malachi chapter 3, where I've got to pay this tithe or the wrath of God is going to come upon me, then that just totally voids your gift. Again, I go back and refer to the scripture I've already used, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, that if you give all of your goods to feed the poor, or even if you give your body to be burned and don't do it by God's kind of love or charity, it profits you nothing. The motive behind your gift is more important than your gift. And if you are giving out of debt and out of necessity, out of obligation, then you just void your gift. You know, if all there was to prosperity is Luke 6.38, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. If that's all there was to prosperity is just give and then boom, it comes back to you. And according to Mark chapter 10, a hundredfold. If that's all there was, well then many of you would be multimillionaires right now. If you were to just take everything that you've ever given and multiply it times a hundred, I guarantee you with many of you, it'd be well over a million dollars. But you know why many of you are not that prosperous and why you haven't seen this? Because the motive behind your gift is more important than your gift. And again, I refer back to 1 Corinthians 13, 3. If you give your body to be burned or all of your goods and don't do it by love, it profits you nothing. You void your gift. Now, I know that this is a strong word, but I believe that this is absolutely true. And again, I believe that's why some people have given so much money so faithfully, but they have given with this mindset that it's a debt. It's an obligation. God's going to curse me with the curse if I don't give. And if that's the way that you're thinking, it might benefit the church that you give it to or the individual that you give your money to, but it's not going to benefit you. You will not get a return off of that. You've got to plant your financial seed with a good heart, with a right heart, motivated by being a cheerful giver, not grudgingly and of necessity. And if you violate that motive, you void the gift. Now, I am not saying, now listen to me here, I am not saying that you shouldn't tithe. But I'm saying that the motivation behind your tithe has to change. I believe that if in the Old Covenant they gave 10% before they had the revelation of God's love and grace the way that we do, that the New Testament grace is infinitely superior to the Old Testament law. And we have many promises in the New Testament about a hundredfold return, give and it shall be given unto you, etc. If the Old Testament saints gave 10%, I believe that there is no way in the New Testament you should be giving less than 10%.
I believe that you ought to be giving much more than 10%. You know, I'm not sure exactly how much we give, but I know that right off the top, my wife and I, we have a give account and we give 20% right into that give account and use that. And then we give a lot of money besides that. I'm not sure exactly, but I'd say probably somewhere around 25% of our uh, gross income is all given back to the Lord. And I'm not saying that for any selfish reason except just to say that I practice this myself. I am not preaching that we are free from a tithe so that I don't have to give. But I'm preaching so that we can purify our motives. I've used this verse just about every single day, but 1 Corinthians 13.3 says that if you give all of your goods to feed the poor or if you give your body to be burned and don't do it motivated by God's kind of love, it profits you nothing. So your motive is very, very, very important. And if you are still giving under the Old Testament motive of fear, of punishment, fear of the curse coming, well, then you just void your giving. It profits you nothing. You need to purify your motive. You know, I had a man that worked for me uh, way back in the beginning of our ministry when we first moved here to Colorado Springs. This would have been around 1980. And this man and his wife came to work for me. And back in the 80s, they were making about $3,000 a month, both of them working. Now, that may not seem like a lot of money to you, but back in the 80s, that was a lot of money. They were making a lot more money than I was making. And they were pretty prosperous and pretty well off. But they came to work for me. And then they got hold of this truth about it's not that you don't tithe. I believe that you should tithe at least and give more than that. But the deal is you just don't give grudgingly or of necessity. Your gift doesn't really please God or benefit you until you give with the right attitude. And when they saw this, uh, prior to this time, Larry was the kind of guy that wrote out his check. And if he made, you know, $3,010, then he would write his check out for $301. I mean, it was down to the penny. He just wrote it out, took exactly 10%. He paid it just like he did a bill. He didn't give it cheerfully. He felt like it was a debt, an obligation. And they were faithful tithers, but that's the way they paid their tithe. And uh, anyway, even though they were making this very good living, you know, comparative for 1980, they, it seemed like that they still had needs and that their car was breaking down and that they had this and that money was tight. He heard me preaching on this thing about the motive behind it and he said he agreed with his wife and they just prayed and said, from now on, we're going to give as we purpose in our heart. We aren't going to be bound to just writing out, you know, down to the last penny exactly what a tenth is, but we're going to give the way that we feel God wants us to give. And so they started giving that way. And after a few months, after three or four months, it seemed like that they had more money than they had ever had. Uh, They were just prospering. It seemed like they had extra. And his first thought when he saw this was that, you know what, I probably, since I've quit giving an exact tithe, I've probably not been giving as much money. And that's the reason that we've got more. And he felt kind of badly about that. So he paid all of his tithes and all of his giving was by check. He went back and added up his checks. And did you know what had happened? They had jumped up to around 25%. They had gone from 10% 
to 25% in their giving, and yet they had more money, more discretionary money to spend however they wanted to than they did when they were paying just this flat 10%. And the reason I give that story is to illustrate this, that if you give even a tithe or even giving your body to be burned or all of your goods to feed the poor. But if you aren't motivated by love, it profits you nothing. In the New Testament, motives, attitudes of the heart are just as, they're actually more important than actions. You know, in the Old Testament, it says you shall not murder. Jesus came along in the Sermon on the Mountain and says, if you're angry without a cause, you've already committed murder in your heart. In the Old Testament, it says you shall not commit adultery. In the New Testament, it says you can't even lust in your heart or you're guilty of adultery. And on and on. Jesus went beyond just actions and went to the motive of our heart. And this is what it's saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, where it says, don't give grudgingly or of necessity because God loves a cheerful giver. We've got to move from the Old Testament motivation for the tithe of doing it as a debt and an obligation, a payment to keep God's curse off of you. You've got to change that motivation and you've got to get into the new covenant where you are now freed, not so that you don't tithe, but now you can tithe out of a cheerful heart. You can give it, give it out of a cheerful heart instead of grudgingly and of necessity. Now again, I want to make this clear. I'm not saying that we don't give, that we don't tithe, but I'm saying that the debt, the obligation, the punishment of the Old Testament law that you reap a curse instead of a blessing has been removed from us through the atonement that Jesus made for us. And we are now free. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He has redeemed us from reaping the curse if we don't tithe. Now does that mean that we still don't tithe? No, it just means we're removed from the curse. And it means that now when we pay a tithe or when we give, we don't have to do it out of debt, out of obligation, grudgingly and of necessity, but we can do it with a cheerful heart. So literally, some people may say, what is the big deal here? You're still saying people ought to be tithing and you're just saying that it's a different motivation. The motivation is all important with God. You know, I can compare this to like a parent and a child. If you, for some reason, had your children, I say that they were 18 or 19 years old, and because of a fear of you, a fear of punishment, either a physical rod or grounding them or taking their car away or not doing something, if if the only reason they did what was right because you were going to punish them and they knew they were going to have to hell to pay if they didn't do it, Did you know what? You could get compliance out of that. But let me ask you, is that really going to satisfy you? Is that really going to make you feel happy and content that your children are doing the right thing if you know that they are only doing it because they're afraid that you're going to punish them, take something away and do something? You know, I'm a parent and I can guarantee you that that is not what I want out of my children. Yes, I want them to do what's right, but I want them to do what's right because they desire to do it, because it's in their heart, not because they're afraid of me and I'm coercing and forcing them to do it. Well, in a sense, under the Old Testament, God couldn't deal with us the way that we do with our children because the Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. 
So a lost man, a natural man is what he's talking about, could not understand the true heart of God and they couldn't understand the love of God. So what did you do? Well, just like a child, you can't wait until a child is 20 years old and understands everything before you start telling them this is right and this is wrong. Don't do this, do this. How do you get a child to start doing what's right before they understand? It's real simple. You just tell them, you do that and I'm going to spank you. And so a child, when they're young, starts out doing the right thing, not because it's in their heart to do the right thing, but because they are afraid of punishment. But as they grow up, It would be totally wrong for a person to be 50 or 60 years old and still only doing the things that are right just because he's afraid he's going to get a spanking. Something's wrong there. You know what? That's a temporary fix only until you mature enough to the point that you can understand and reason on your own. And then you still do what's right. But now you don't do it because you're afraid you're going to be punished. You do it because you understand the benefits, that there's consequences to your actions. And in a real sense, this is the way it was with mankind. Prior to Jesus coming and bringing the new birth, people could not understand and didn't have the right heart motives. And so God just told them what was right to do, which is to pay a tithe. And if you don't do it, Malachi chapter 3 verse 9 says, I'm going to curse you. You're going to be under judgment. And you know what? Even a lost man could understand that. But now that we're born again in the new covenant, and we now have God's Spirit living on the inside of us. God has removed the curse. There is no longer any fear of judgment. But does that mean that we don't still do what's right? No, you still do the right thing. You know, I've used this example before, and some of you I'm sure have heard this, but I grew up on a busy city street, and my mother, my father died when I was young, and my mother, I mean, she used to just beat me if I crossed that street without looking both ways. I am. She didn't beat me wrong. It wasn't child abuse. I'm just saying that, man, she spanked me and told me, don't you ever do this. And I got a bunch of spankings because I'd be chasing a ball and just run out in the street or something like that. Now, you know what? When I was young, I did. I'd stop and I'd look both ways before I crossed that street. Because, not because I was afraid of cars or anything. I honestly didn't even think about those kind of things. I did it because I was afraid my mother was going to spank me. But you know what? Now I'm 56 years old, and I can guarantee you if I was to start crossing the street, if say I was just thinking of something else or talking to you, and if I didn't even think about it, and if I walked across the street without looking both ways, and if I survived and got to the other side, and then all of a sudden it dawned on me that, oh, no, I didn't look both ways before I crossed the street. If I, if I was to just all of a sudden get paranoid and say, please, please, please don't tell my mother that I did this. She'll beat me with an inch of my life. You know, as a 56-year-old man, my mother is now 93. And I guarantee you, if push comes to shove, I could take her if I had to. I, I am not afraid of my mother's whipping. But does that mean that I don't, now that I'm not going to be spanked for not looking both ways, does that mean that I still cross the street and I'm free to do it because, after all, nobody's going to spank me? Well, I, I guess I could, I'm free to do it, but it's still the wrong thing to walk across the street without paying attention to whether there's traffic coming or not. The real reason to look both ways isn't so you won't get a spanking, but rather so that you can live and get to the other side so that you won't get run over by a car. Well, see, in the same way, under the old covenant, God told us to pay a tithe. He told Adam 
I mean, not Adam, but uh, Abraham and Jacob paid tithes before the Old Testament law came along. But when the Old Testament law came along, God put this punishment on it about that you have to pay a tithe or you are cursed with the curse. And it served a purpose for people who weren't born again, who couldn't really, didn't really have the law of God written on their heart, and it just provided them with the motivation to do the right thing. You know, the Scripture says over in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7, let me just get this so that I can get the whole quotation. 1 John chapter 4, it's not verse 7, it's verse 18. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. If your motivation for doing something is fear, and I'm not talking about a reverential fear where you're doing it out of respect and love and compassion for God, but if you're doing it because you're afraid you're going to be cursed with the curse if you don't, well, then that has fear in it, and perfect love casts out fear. There isn't any fear in God's kind of love. And those who are operating by fear, when you do the right thing out of fear of being punished if you don't, It may compel you to do the right thing, but it also is going to torment you. And that was only a temporary motivation of God getting people to tithe. Under the New Testament, it's not that I'm saying we should quit tithing. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying we ought to purify our motives and recognize that we're redeemed from the curse, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, so that the curse isn't coming on me if I don't tithe, but... I still need to tithe just like I still look both ways before I cross the street. I do it so that I can take these principles about give and it shall be given unto you. And I put the laws of God into practice, but I am not doing it motivated out of fear. It also goes on to say here in Malachi chapter 3, I've already pointed out that you not only robbed him in tithes and in offerings, but it goes on to say in verse 11, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. So this is also talking about in the same context about tithes and offerings. You're cursed with the curse if you don't tithe. But it says in verse 11 that if you will tithe, that God will rebuke the devourer for our sakes. Of course, this is talking about Satan rebuking the evil one and the blessings of God will come upon us instead of the curse. Now, in the New Covenant, the Scripture makes it very clear in a number of places, but one of them is James chapter 4 and verse 7. It says, Submit yourselves therefore unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This puts the responsibility on us to resist the devil. God is the one who has the power. It's God's power behind us, but we have to resist the devil to get him to flee from us. If there's no resisting on our part, there isn't any fleeing on the devil's part. So the point that I'm making here is that see some people when they teach on the tithe will say, if you will tithe, God will supernaturally rebuke the devourer for you. Well, under the old covenant, Old Covenant men didn't have the authority that we have as New Covenant believers. They didn't have the name of Jesus. Jesus hadn't destroyed Satan and all of his power and taken the keys of death and of hell. And Satan was the God of this world. And so the Old Testament saints didn't have the same power and authority against the enemy that we do. And so therefore God had to resist the devil for them, had to rebuke the devil. 
But in the new covenant, it says, you resist the devil and he will flee from you. So if you were trying to take these scriptures about tithing and saying, if I tithe, then I believe that God's going to rebuke the devourer for me just automatically and I don't even have to resist. I don't have to do anything. God will do it for me. That's not a New Testament concept. There's many scriptures that go along with that, but that James 4, 7 makes it very clear that you have to resist the devil. Satan doesn't flee directly from God. Jesus and Satan meant, and they've already had a battle, and Jesus won hands down. And there really is no contest between Jesus and the devil. But Satan is coming against us, and we have to take our authority that Jesus granted us, and we have to resist the devil and see him flee from us. You know, if you had a demonic problem, and if you were to say, Oh God, please get the devil off of my case... Satan, I ask you to leave in the name of Jesus. That's not the way you do it. You don't ask the devil and you don't ask God. What you do is take your authority and then you resist. The word resist means to actively fight against. You speak against the devil and take the authority of Jesus and as you resist him, he flees from you. Now see, that's a New Testament concept. So once again, going back to Malachi chapter 3, verse 11, it says that God will rebuke the devourer if you will tithe and do these things. Again, this is another verification that this is an Old Testament passage of Scripture, that it's not sin, it wasn't wrong, it was just incomplete. We now have a better covenant. God's not angry with you if you don't tithe. In verse 10, it says, "...bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse." that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now this passage of Scripture, there's a lot of things. Here's a blessing that comes upon us when we tithe, that it releases this abundance of God, so much abundance that you won't even have room enough to receive it. Now, I've already made this point, so I won't go back through all of this. But when you start talking about taking a portion of what you've got, which is what the word tithe means, it means 10%. And when you talk about taking a portion of what you've got and giving it to God through giving it to the church or giving it to people or to some cause, people immediately think, but I'm, uh, I need this money. I, I can't do without it. This money is leaving my life. But this verse, and there's many others that we've already talked about, when you bring all the tithes into the storehouse, God opens up the windows of heaven and blessings begin to pour out in your life. And I know that somebody who hasn't really tried tithing and you haven't proven this to be true, this may sound crazy to you, but it's absolutely true. I can testify to it. In our meetings, I've asked people to raise their hand if they are tithers and yet they are prospering more by tithing than they ever did when they used to keep 100%. And I mean many, many hands will go up. You know, if I could see you right now, I can guarantee you there's people all around the world that have already proven this to be true. And this is what this is saying, is that when you give, God opens up the windows of heavens and you just begin to prosper greater with only 90% than you ever did with 100%. And some of you are thinking that is not mathematically possible. Well, it may not be mathematically possible, but it's possible with God. All things are possible with God. And so this is just one more verification that God isn't trying to take from us. God is trying to bless us and give to us, but part of it is we have to take that step of faith and trust Him and give. 
And it says that we bring all of the tithes into the storehouse. We've already talked about the tithe and established that the curse of it's removed, but we're still supposed to tithe and give offerings. Another question that I have, people come to me and say, so where do we tithe? A lot of people are confused about this. And there's a lot of people that think that their tithe can be used in many different ways. Well, first of all, the tithe in the Old Testament, when it was instituted and when it was first um, you know, put in place, the tithe was given to the work of God. It was given either to a priest who offered the sacrifices or it was brought directly to the temple and things like this. Now, there were other sacrifices and obligations and... Uh, the feast, they did all of these kind of things, but the people had to pay a tithe, and that tithe went directly to the ministers. Now, they didn't bring it directly to necessarily the temple in Jerusalem because in the Old Testament there was only one temple. Prior to the uh, temple, there was one tabernacle. So there was only one place of worship, and they didn't bring their tithe directly to the place of worship, but they brought their tithe to the ministers. And I could spend a lot of time verifying this, but if you're familiar with Scripture at all, or you could go look it up on your own, this is the way that God supported the ministers and allowed them to continue to function was that the people brought their tithe directly to the ministers. In the local places where they were hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, they would bring the tithe of their corn and of their increase and all of these kind of things and give them directly to the ministers. So that's the way that it was done in the Old Covenant. Today, basically, there's a lot of people that preach that the storehouse here, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, where it says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, they preach that the storehouse is the local church and that you are supposed to give all of your tithes to the local church. I've actually heard one minister that said you're supposed to give all your tithes and offerings to the local church and that the church is responsible for dispersing them to the ministries, such as mine, what we call a quote-unquote parachurch ministry, and that the uh, church is responsible for giving to all of these different ministries and to all these different things. Well, I totally disagree with that because, uh, for one thing, uh, there is no church that understands and knows all of the parachurch ministries, all the prison ministries, all the missions works, all of the people who are doing all of these different ministries. No church could be totally aware of the thousands and thousands and thousands of ministers just here in the United States that are ministering this gospel. And if it was dependent upon the churches to fund them directly, I just don't believe that it would be done. Like, for instance, the church that I go to is a very large church. And uh, I've heard this man before say, bring all the tithes and offerings to this church and we will dispense them. And this guy, I'm not complaining or anything. I'm just saying that they gave us, I think, $50 a month was their contribution to our ministry. Did you know we have to have nearly a million dollars a month to function? And at that rate, a very large church, over, I don't know, 10,000 people or something, giving us $50 a month, it's not going to happen. That's just not efficient. Plus, the people themselves need to learn to hear from God I don't believe that God, I don't believe it would be good for the body of Christ to just take all of your tithes, give it to the pastor, and then let the pastor have the responsibility of dispersing these funds worldwide. I don't think that that would be good for you as an individual. You wouldn't hear about 
Uh, you wouldn't know about hearing the voice of God. You wouldn't receive the benefit of knowing that my seed is going directly into this ministry and look what I'm helping them to accomplish. So I certainly disagree that you bring all of the tithes, the offerings, everything that you give and give it directly to the local church. I don't believe that. I think that's very, very restrictive. Well, some people would say, well, no, the offerings are where you send your offerings to all of these different ministries and all the different things that are happening, but you bring your tithe to the local church. Let me say this. I believe that that is the ideal situation. I really do. I believe that the tithe should go to the local church if, and this this is a qualification, if the local church is feeding you and ministering to you and the number one line of defense in God's system against the devil and for your benefit. And really, that's what the local church should be. So if the local church is functioning properly and if it's doing what it should be doing, well, then I have no complaint with a person taking their tithe to the local church because I believe that the local church is really on the front lines of God's system. I totally support the local church and I believe that we need local churches and we certainly don't need to be sending our money even to me or to some other ministry if it's going to make the ministry of Jesus in your local area suffer. So I certainly agree. If the church is functioning the way that it should, that your tithes should go to the local church. But look at this. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. The word storehouse, it's, it's a word picture of a person uh, going to a place where you store your food. And you bring all of your tithes and put there where you get fed. And then when you're hungry later on, you go and you get some of this storehouse, some of these things that you've set aside. It's calling the church, or in the Old Testament, it would have been the work of God, a storehouse. Basically, this is talking about where you get fed. And here's what I believe is that you are supposed to give where you are fed. Now, if you are going to a good local church, the local church can feed you in a way that a ministry like mine never could. You know, I might come into your home 30 minutes a day on television, and of course we have tapes and CDs and books and videos and the website, and there's you could take advantage of my teaching and you could get a lot of feeding as far as the teaching of the Word of God. But you know, if you need prayer in the middle of the night, if you wake up with an appendicitis attack and you're trying to stand and believe for your healing, you can't call me. I can't come minister to you, but a local church could come minister to you and they could stand and they could pray with you. And if you have problems in your marriage, you could go and you could get counseling in that church. If you have children that you need help raising them and establishing the proper values in them, the local church can minister to you in ways that I can't. I can't take your children in. I can't get to know them personally. I can't provide a role model. You know, seeing me over television may help a person to a degree, but that's going to be nothing like seeing a pastor of a local church and seeing the struggles and maybe he's had sickness in his family or financial problems or something, and yet you see this man just glorifying God and walking through it. That experience is going to be worth volumes. Volumes. And the point that I'm making is that if you go to a good local church, 
that church can minister to you in ways that a ministry like mine never could. And therefore, I believe it is worthy of your tithes. And I have no problem with that. I don't believe that there's any shortage of money in the body of Christ. And so I'm not begrudging the money. I, I would love it if every person watching this program gave tithes to their local church. I would love it if they went to a good local church that was really meeting those needs. But here's the reality of it. I hate to say this, but this is probably a true statement. Did you know that the vast majority of people are not in strong, good, local, life-giving churches. But instead, they're in churches that it just grieves you to go to church. And I'm saying these things based on... I've talked to so many people. I've had people come up to me literally by the thousands and say, Man, you've ruined me. The church I go to doesn't preach this message. They're sitting there and condemning us and telling us God is angry with us and saying God is the one that sent the terrorist attacks and God is the one that sent the hurricanes and God is the one that caused this sickness and disease. And there are a lot of churches that are promoting things that when you give your tithes to that, you are becoming a partaker with that negative stuff that they're doing. There are churches right here in America that are licensing and ordaining homosexuals into the ministry and putting their stamp of approval on that. There are churches that are supporting the National Council of Churches, which is basically against everything that God is for. There are churches that are involved in social issues that are completely against the Word of God. There is just a lot of junk going on. There's a lot of churches that aren't feeding the people. They aren't teaching the truth. And for you to take your money, your tithe, and put it into there and say, well, God, I don't like this. I know it's not anything good, but you said bring all the tithes into the storehouse. The storehouse is where you get fed. Let me put it to you this way. If you are going to a church that isn't teaching the Word of God, but you feel obligated, maybe you're a wife and your husband goes there, and so to be able to keep... Uh, peace in the family and at least keep your family going to church you've compromised and you're going to a church that doesn't teach the Word of God to humor your husband. Or maybe you go there because your great-great-grandfather has his name engraved on a pew and the church has been there for years and this is a family tradition. Whatever the reasons are that you go to someplace, but if it isn't feeding you and yet you put your tithes into that church, you know, that's like going to eat at McDonald's and then not paying them but walking across the street to Wendy's and paying them for the food that you got over here at McDonald's. That's wrong. And you know what? In the natural realm, you do something like that, they're going to call the cops on you and you're going to be prosecuted because you're supposed to give where you're fed. Now again, if a local church is functioning the way that God wants it to, there is no way that any parachurch ministry can compete with the local church. The local church is awesome. And that's where God wants your tithes to go if it is a healthy, functional local church. But the reality of it is that the majority, I would say, of local churches are not life-giving and not God-serving. And for you to put your money in there, and then you boot, you're bootlegging the gospel in a sense off of my program. Now, some of you outside of the United States may not understand that slang, but you are getting fed through me. This is how God is speaking to you, and yet you're putting all of your money into someplace else because that is the quote-unquote local church 
but they aren't fulfilling the requirements. They aren't ministering in the power of the Holy Ghost. They deny the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't even believe in speaking in tongues. They don't believe in healing. They don't believe in prosperity. They aren't preaching the Word of God, and yet you're putting your money into there. That's irresponsible. And I know that I'll get a lot of pastors upset at me because of that. But again, I'm saying if it's a good church, I'm telling people, I've gone out of my way to say that the local church can minister to people in ways that I never can. But you know what? If you aren't going to one of those life-giving, good local churches, then you shouldn't be putting your money into that thing and paying for all of that. And I know that, again, there's some people going to be very upset at that, but I think that this will set you free. Again, it dep- it, it, it's important where you put your money. Some people think, no, it's not. As long as I'm giving, God understands my heart and that's all that matters. Well, again, the Scripture, many different places, Galatians chapter 6 and, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, many places, talks about the, a gift you're giving being like a seed. And if you think that where you plant a seed doesn't matter, then I can guarantee you, you aren't going to get a good crop. If you think that you could plant a seed in concrete and get the same harvest that you get if you go out and till the soil and plant it in rich, fertile soil and fertilize it and do all of that, it does matter where you plant your seed. And for a person to think, well, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to give. And then, you know, God can do whatever. He knows my heart. I've given. That's all that's important. No, it's important where you give. And the overriding motivation for giving, not the only motivation, but the primary motivation for giving is to give where you are fed. Again, if you go back to this illustration that I used at the very beginning of this, in the Old Testament, the tithes went to the local Levite that was in their area, the one that offered their sacrifices, that was God's representative to them, and they brought their tithes to that local minister. They didn't take it to just a building, to a building program in Jerusalem somewhere. The temple was different. They brought offerings there and they did things for the upkeep of that and then they, they gave offerings for the high priest, etc. But the local Levite, they took their tithes and gave it directly to them. In other words, they gave their tithes to the person that was feeding them the Word of God, giving them instruction, telling them about the ways of God. Basically, the scriptural principle is give where you're fed. And brothers and sisters, I know I'll have people criticize me over this. I'm not saying this for any ulterior motives. I'm just saying this because it's the truth. But you know what? If I am the one that is feeding you and you go to a dead church that is against many of the precepts of the Bible and yet you go there for whatever reason and if you're putting your tithe into there, that's wrong. You ought to be giving where you're fed. Now again, let me say it this way. If you are in a dead church... Rather than send your tithes to me, what I would suggest you do is get out of that dead church and find a live one. But you know what? There are some people that honestly live in small towns or whatever the situation is that for whatever reason you don't have a church available that is really going to be doing everything that you needed to do. And if you're in that situation and if I'm where you're being fed, the scriptural thing is to bring your tithes into the storehouse. 
I am not against receiving tithes. When we have people that call me and say, I want to give my tithes to you, I usually have my assistant contact them and say, you ought to be in a local church and you ought to be giving your tithes to them if it's a good local church. The only reason we'll receive them is if you don't have somebody there that you feel is really a good, functional local church, then we'll receive it. And that's usually what we do. So I'm not saying that to get you to send your tithes to me, but I'm just saying it to clarify that the Scripture says, bring the tithes into the storehouse. And if you would use this and just give where you're fed, it would accomplish a lot of things. It would solve a lot of problems. And I tell you, this is, this is some good stuff. It'll make a difference in the return that you get if you learn to give where you're fed, not give where you're begged or give where you're pressured or give where it's been tradition to give. Just give where you're fed. Bring the tithes into the storehouse. Where is it that you get your food from? That's where you should put your tithes. Isn't that simple? Let me turn over in the New Testament to Galatians chapter 6. And let's look at a passage here about uh, giving. In Galatians chapter 6, in verse 6, it says, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. And the word communicate here is literally talking about reciprocate or give is what it's talking about. If you are taught in the word, you are supposed to give unto him that teaches you in the word. In verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As you have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. Now, there's a lot of other scriptures that I could bring to bear on this, but basically, you should give where you're fed. You should give where God is speaking to you through. You know, personally, my wife and I, again, uh, this is not saying that everybody has to do things the way we do, but this is the way we operate. We have a give account where we give a certain amount straight off the top and put in this give account, and then we use that, and we support all kinds of ministries. We've got... Uh, people that travel the world. We've got missionaries in Romania. We've got people that run drug and alcohol abuse things that we support. And we support all kinds of different things. But uh, we don't go to our local church all that often. Matter of fact, uh, we sometimes don't go, you know, but maybe once a month or once every two months because I'm out traveling a lot. I'm doing a lot of things. So personally, we don't just put a tithe directly into our local church because that's not primarily where we're fed. And so we take our tithe and we split it up among ministries that have really spoken into our lives, that have ministered to us. And then we have also what I call benevolence giving to where we don't give only to people that feed us. Now see, if that's the only requirements we used in giving, then sometimes some of these missionaries that are ministering to people that don't have very much money to support them directly and they have to come back to the United States or back to Europe or someplace and raise their support. Well, if the only way you gave was just to people who were feeding you, then you would never give to a cause that you weren't directly benefiting from. You wouldn't give to a prison ministry. You wouldn't give to a missionary. You wouldn't give to some of these orphanages or things like this. 
But see, there's also a benevolence ministry. It talks about over in James chapter 2 that if you see your brother or sister in need and if you shut up your bowels of compassion from them, how dwells the love of God in you? So I've been using this scripture in Malachi 3.10 about bring all the tithes into the storehouse, but that's not the only place you give is where you're fed, where you get your food from. You also give towards causes that you support the cause. You believe it's a worthy thing and God touches your heart. But the basic principle, again, there's multiple reasons for giving. But the basic, the dominant reason for giving is just like it says in Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, as it says in Galatians chapter 6 verse 7, that when you've been taught, give to the person that is taught. Give to where you get your food from. And I know that there's going to be people that will instantly... um, Take what I'm saying and think that I'm saying this for an ulterior motive. I'm really not. I'm just teaching the truth. This is what the Word of God says. I'm not saying this for my benefit, but I am saying this, that if you would quit giving where you are begged, where you are coerced, where you're intimidated, manipulated, condemned into giving, it would accomplish a number of things. Number one you are going to reap based on where you give and how you give. Now, some people may disagree with this, but I've made this point already. There's a difference between planting seed in a fertile place and planting it on concrete. It does matter where you give. So your return is going to depend to a degree on how fruitful the ground is that you plant that seed in. If you are giving to something that is marginal, and it's not accomplishing the work of the Lord, you aren't going to get the same return off of that as if you plant that seed in a place that is very fruitful and ministering the Word of God. So for your benefit, you need to learn to plant your seed in a good place. But then, beyond that, here's some other things that it would accomplish. As many of you know, there are a tremendous amount of ministers, and I'm not talking about just in church, probably radio and television ministers are famous for the way that they manipulate people, beg people, put pressure on you, tell you that if you don't give, they're going to go off television and radio. Uh, you know, they, they have gimmicks. I've seen people before that sold green strings for prosperity, red strings for healing, and all of these kinds of different things. And um, they just use gimmicks and manipulation, control, they beg. I actually had a woman come to me one time and she had a letter that said, Dear, you know, Stella or whatever her name was. I don't remember right now. But it was personalized. And then it said in the body of the letter, it says, God woke me up at three this morning and gave me your name and told me to tell you this, that if you would send me $1,000, that the people you've been praying for are all going to get saved. You're going to start seeing healing, prosperity, deliverance. And this woman came to me and she was a poor woman and she says, I could scrape together $1,000, but I really don't feel like I should give this. But this man was woken up in the middle of the night and had my name and said I was supposed to do it. What should I do? And I just took the letter and tore it up. (laughs) And she says, how could you do that? And I said, he sent that letter out to 100,000 people and his computer personalized it. And that's nothing but manipulation and control. And you know what? Some people give to things like that. And again, some people have the idea that where I give and how I give 
is actually immaterial. God knows my heart, and as long as I mean good, then regardless of what the motivation of the preacher was that coerced me into giving, God's going to bless me and everything will work out. That's really not true. There may be a partial truth in that because you can't know every person totally, but I'm saying within reason you need to use your brain and when you give to somebody who is receiving an offering in an ungodly fashion and coercing you and begging you, you're doing a number of things. One of them is you're telling that minister it worked. It worked. Do it again. Now, I hate to say this, but you know what? The majority of giving in the body of Christ, I believe, is that type of an emotional, coercive type of giving. I've actually had people come to me before who are fundraisers and do this thing for a living. I had one person come and he had just raised $22 million in one letter that he sent out for another minister. And he told me that if I would underline in this color ink, if I'd write this in the margin, if I'd flash pictures of babies with swollen bellies and say, please give to feed these people in Africa, that he could guarantee me a million dollars. And I said, but I don't have an orphanage in in Africa. I don't do that. And he says, it doesn't matter. He says, this other guy raised $22 million for it. Didn't do it either. He says, but it's what gets the people to give. Did you know that's crooked? That's dishonest. I told this guy to get out. Keep whatever money I'd spent already to bring this guy in. I said, I don't need money that bad. And I asked him to leave. But you know what? There's a lot of people that are coercing you and telling you and do it, playing on your emotions. And you don't really want to give, but you feel compelled to give. You feel guilty if you don't give. And every time you give in response to something like that, you have cast a vote and said... I like what you're doing. And you've encouraged that minister to continue on with those practices. You know what? That needs to stop. There are some valid things that uh, request your finances to help that, and that's okay. I'm not talking about that you don't respond to needs like that, but I'm saying that there are people that have misused that and manipulated it. For instance, there was a man who was on my board of directors and he was actually in a church service one time where the minister took up an offering and then he says, all right, we're going to count this offering and see if it's the amount that I need tonight. And he made the people just wait while he counted the offering. And he said, this wasn't enough. And so he passed the plates again and he had them count the offering. And he even said this. I don't know if it was accurate, but he said, I've got the doors locked. Ushers are standing at the doors. Nobody leaves until I get this X amount of dollars. And after they counted the second offering, they were still $1,000 short. And this guy just kept saying, we aren't leaving until we get this. I know that this is what God told me to do. And anyway, this man who was on my board of directors gave $1,000 just to get that guy to sit down and shut up and let him and the rest of the people go. And in some sense, people would say, well, man, I can understand that. But you know what? I, if it would have been me, I would have stood right there and have defied that guy. Because when you give to something like that, you've encouraged him. It's like a politician. You got no right to gripe or complain against that politician if you voted for him. If you voted for him, you're the one that put him in office. And if he does something that's wrong, quit voting for him. Vote against him. And if ministers are manipulating and controlling you through this deal of finances, quit giving to them.
You know why ministers use all of these techniques? You know why they've got it down to a science as to what color causes people to give the most and all of these things? And people can make a living traveling around and writing letters because they are using psychology, they're using tactics of this world to manipulate and control. And the reason they do it is because it works. I hate to say that, but that's one reason I'm teaching on this is because we need to grow up and you need to have enough maturity and security in the Lord that you start following scriptural guidelines. You give where you are fed. You give when you see a need and you have compassion and are stirred up. But not everything that is good is God. And even if it's God for somebody else, it may not be God for you. God can direct you in your giving. And there's a number of different things that you use, but the dominant one and the one that would solve most problems is if you just gave where you were fed. Who is it that God is using to minister to you? Who is the one that God is speaking to your life through? You know what? If you would identify that and then start giving your money, sowing your money where you were fed, it would accomplish a lot of things. It would make you more fruitful in your harvest because you planted in good seed. It would be an encouragement to the people who are truly feeding the body of Christ. And it would be a discouragement to the people who are manipulating and controlling. And you know what? If we quit responding to these things about where if you'll give a thousand dollars, I can guarantee you that you can buy this person's salvation and all of these other things that go on. If you would quit falling for things like that and start using scriptural principles in your giving... You know what would happen to people who are not teaching the Word and aren't feeding people, but instead their focus is on fundraising. They would start, their finances would start drying up. They would either do one of two things. If they weren't sincere in serving God at all, they'd just quit and get out of the ministry and you'd avoid that abuse in the body of Christ. If they were true godly ministers, but had just gotten off of track and gotten into some of these Uh, practices where they manipulate people, well, then they would be discouraged from doing that. They'd look at the people who were feeding the body of Christ and they would say, you know what, these people are prospering more than all of these tactics, all of these green strings, red strings, all of this stuff that I'm selling. And they would just start preaching the Word. So you would encourage them to get back on track. And then the people who are preaching the Word would be so blessed and so encouraged that they would abound and they would begin to start prospering more and more and more. Boy, that is so simple. That is so simple, you've got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. And you know what? You don't have to do a huge amount. Sometimes people get to talking about everybody send in $1,000, $20,000 or whatever. But you know what? It's, it's just if you would give something, if you would do something... You know, recently I heard a couple of people on the radio driving home in the afternoon and these people blessed me and spoke into my life and uh, there was two of them that I didn't even know really who they were, but I just wrote them a little note on their website. I have sent money to preachers that probably disagree with me. I'm not saying that they're uh, people that are exactly doctrinally as I am, but nonetheless I know God spoke through them, it ministered to me. And so I'll just send them $5 or $10. You know, if you go buy a hamburger, you don't give them $100. You just give them $5 and they make their living off of the volume. 
You know, right now, I don't even, I don't have an exact way of knowing how many people we're reaching. But in the United States alone, I'm sure we're reaching at least a million people. Now, again, I'm not saying this for my benefit, but this is the truth. I would say it if I was teaching on somebody else's program or whatever. You know, if people who are being fed through this program would just give. Again, if we have a million people in the United States alone, and then we have hundreds of millions of people in India, Africa, Australia, all across Europe that potentially could be getting this program. Out of that, there could be another 1 million, 10 million people watching. We could have multiple millions of people watching this program every day. Did you know if every person who is blessed, not those who are critical and mad at me and don't agree, but just those of you who were blessed, if every person just sent in a dollar, and if we had a million people or five million people send in one dollar, did you know that that would just blow all of our records of receiving out of the water. If people would just learn to give where you're fed. If you aren't fed, you don't have to sit there and form an opinion as to why you aren't fed. Maybe it was an off day for that person. Maybe God just doesn't want you to receive from them. He's leading you in a different direction. Who knows what the reason is. But if you are blessed, give where you're fed. And if you did that, did you know that the churches that are preaching the gospel... If every person that goes to that church was to give where they are fed, I guarantee you that church would have so much money we wouldn't have to borrow money and go in debt to build buildings and to accomplish the things that God wants us to do. Parachurch ministries like me, I can guarantee you we are reaching millions of people. And if people would just give where they were fed... We would have such an abundance that we could go, we could increase the outreach, we could do all of the things that God is laying on our heart without a second thought. If the body of Christ had just learned to give where they're fed. But you know what? There's a lot of people that are putting money into things that aren't feeding them at all, but people have learned how to manipulate, how to make you feel condemned, how to play on your emotions and things like this, and the sad thing is that the average person isn't smart enough to discern that, and they just go ahead and follow through. They're voting for that kind of abuse every time you give to something like that. You know, I was actually in a service. This is back when I was 18 years old, and I was in an evangelistic service, and the speaker got up, and he said, we're going to receive an offering. And he said, I don't want anybody to give $100 or $50 or $10. He says, if you were going to a movie, you'd pay $3. Now, that'll tell you how long ago this was. He, you know, the nighttime price would be $3 for a movie. He says, I want everybody to give $3. And if you don't have $3, hold your hand up and somebody around will share with you. He says, I want every person in this auditorium to just give $3 in this offering. And you know what? I considered that to be nothing but manipulation and control. I wasn't giving as I purposed in my heart. He was telling me what I had to give. And I was sitting on the front row. And he says, all right, now I want you to hold your $3 up. And I'm going to look to see that everybody has $3. I was sitting on the front row, 18 years old. I folded my arms like this and I looked at him and I just dared this guy to say something. Because I'd have stood up and have yelled back at him. You know, I was only 18 years old, and yet I could tell that was wrong. And, of course, this guy didn't have the nerve to challenge me. But the point I'm making is, this is what I live. I give where I'm fed. I give to things that I know God is using them, and, and it's good works, and I'll give some benevolence type of giving to that. But the primary motive is, I give where I'm fed. 
And I encourage you to do the same thing.